Welcome to Money Management, a weekly look at the art and science of investing. Now, here's your host, Mike Mayle. Welcome to Money Management. Thank you very much for listening. We're here to talk with you as we are every Saturday morning from 9 to 10, live and in radio color, about the markets and the economy and answer any questions you have about that or about the things I'm commenting on and uh, how they might apply to your own situation. You know, week over week, we basically were unchanged, believe it or not. I know you look at the news and they're like, oh, it's up, down, it's up, you know, 100, 200, 300. Remember in percentages, that's the key to the deal when you have the indices where they are now. Because uh, if you're looking at, like, for example, uh, points on the Dow, I mean, you know, 280 points is like, or excuse me, yeah, 280 points is just like 1%. 1% is one cent on the dollar. So it's, you know, uh, yeah, it's down maybe, but don't get too distraught about it because, for example, last month, uh, the S&P was up 3.4% just in the month, the Dow up 37 and the NASDAQ up 45 A gentleman named Adam Crisafuli, he's founder of Vital Knowledge, Adam says, the volatility in stocks is very discordant with the amount of actual news crossing the wire. Markets are reacting too violently on both the downside and upside to all these headlines. Now, he was saying that Thursday because Monday, oh, we're not going to have any trade. It's down. And then the next day, well, we're not sure, down again. But the next day after that, oh, happy days are here again. Yes, we may be talking about trade. We'll go up now. And net of all that carrying on, like I said, about uh, unchanged for the markets week over week. Now, Willie DeWish, he's an investment strategist at Baird. Willie said, a pause after a two-month rally shouldn't be surprising. I agree with that. And it shouldn't preclude from strength over the latter half of this month, which is when we tend to see seasonal strength for the month. December is, uh, uh, by record, uh, the best month of the year for the markets. So uh, I think that's a fair statement. And Neil Duane, global strategist at Allianz Global, says, I'm surprised, if I'm honest, that the market is reacting to these headlines. It's like we've all become Pavlov's dog. Every time someone says, trade deal, we go up or we go down. And that's exactly right. So as we all know, we don't pay attention to headlines, do we? They're, they're just like background noise. Well, apparently the president didn't think much about it either because uh, he said uh, after the market dropped Tuesday it was down 280 points or 1%. He said that's peanuts when compared to the economic importance of striking a favorable trade deal with China. Oh, and one other thing. Uh, the Saudi Arabian oil company, also known as Saudi Aramco, had an initial public offering this week. It uh, didn't get much play here in the U.S. Uh, they priced it at... Um, $8.53 a share, which means they're raising excuse me, $25.6 billion. And uh, it wasn't, uh, well, participated in much here because uh, our guys seem to think that's a little pricey for that particular offering at this point. So in any case, now you know. Let me touch on the economic news uh, before we get into too much market detail because I think that has a lot to do with why we are where we are right now. Um, and uh, in case you missed it, Cyber Monday shoppers spent $9.4 online. That was up almost 20% from a year ago. 
And uh, online shopping on Black Friday alone was up 22% from a year ago. We also learned uh, that uh, the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, the OECD as they know it, says we have, the U.S., has lower taxes than all but three countries that belong to the organization. And those countries are Ireland, Chile, and Mexico. So basically from uh, up until they dropped the, the tax rates, uh, we were in the, in the world like uh, the, in the top 10 of highest uh, tax levels. So this is a pleasant change to be sure. And one of the reasons why we're doing well in the marketplace, because people get to keep more money and spend it. That's how it works. Now, Wednesday, they came out with a report about private sector job growth, and it slowed in November. It was up just 67,000 people, and that was uh, below uh, 150,000, which was the consensus. There's a gentleman named Mark Zandi. He's chief economist for Moody's Analytics. They track all this kind of stuff. And he said, now this was Wednesday, he said the job market is losing its shine. Manufacturers, commodity producers, producers, and retailers are shedding jobs. Job openings are declining, he said, and if job growth slows any further, unemployment will increase. Well, no kidding. But in any case, (laughs) fast forward to Friday, where we learned that employers added 266,000 jobs in November, national unemployment at a 50-year low of 3.5%. I'd say those are pretty strong signs that the economy is withstanding this so-called global slowdown. And in addition... Payroll growth was revised up 41,000 for the prior two months. So there were more people hired in the prior two months than had previously been um, reported. And participation among what they call the prime age workers, that's 25 to 54, um, that's at the highest level in more than 10 years. So that's pretty good, I'd say. Um, And there's more to it. Average hourly earnings rose in October, up 3% from a year ago. Number of hours worked are up 1.6%, so that's total earnings is how that's considered, is 4.8% from a year ago, more than enough to keep consumer spending higher, and I think a pretty good, uh, how would I say, basis for what the shopping we've seen here just in the last uh, few weeks. Tony Badekian, he's head of global markets for Citizens Bank, said in regard to the uh, jobs report, This is a blowout number. The U.S. economy continues to be all about the jobs. The unemployment rate, 50-year low, and wages are increasing. Tony goes on to say, business owners may be getting more cautious due to trade and political uncertainty, and growth may be slow, but consumers keep spending, and the punch bowl still seems full. Unquote. Now, I don't know that the U.S. labor market has ever been stronger. You know, with the payrolls coming up and beating the consensus, the unemployment rate low. Uh, now, let's go back in uh, Captain Mike's uh, Wayback Machine and uh, compare with just literally about 11 years ago now on the 5th of December in 2008. The news wasn't quite the same. It said that uh, in November, we had lost 500,000 jobs. The largest drop in 34 years which gave us an unemployment rate of 6.7%, which was a 15-year high. Compare that with 36 today. This is what's called cycles in the market.
and we're on the good side and likely going to continue. We'll talk more about that after the break. And if you'd like to participate, have a question, a comment, a concern, 326-9200-800-920-9244, the numbers to call in. I'm Mike Mayo with the Spokane Office of the Opus 111 Group. You're listening to Money Management. Good morning, and please use those numbers to call in. Love to talk with you about what's on your mind. A few more economic reports before I start waxing poetic about the markets here. Um, Manufacturing activity, yeah, it continued to slow in November. That's according to the ISM survey. But understand that that index, the ISM index, it's calculated using a survey of purchasing managers. Now, those folks are, well, as far as I know, they're humans, and they often get swayed more by sentiment than actual activity. So you kind of got to go, you know, are they feeling particularly good, uncertain, whatever. But it's just another number to use in your thinking, I guess. And given that we're not also seeing a pickup in layoffs, and you'd certainly expect that to be seen if we're seeing businesses slowing, I think the best thing to do, and this is why I use these reports to share with you on Saturdays, is is give you the hard data over the survey output, over the, oh, I think, I feel, I'm, you know, I project. No, no, no. Just like I said, you know, here's a cyber selling, uh, purchasing, that's people's action. That's what they're doing, not what someone else thinks they might do. And so, you know, it was so much attention given to manufacturing index, you know, the the data from the much larger service sector continues to show solid growth because service sector tends to be focused on internally in the U.S., domestic. And so that's why that has been less of a challenge. The manufacturing side has been affected by, um, well, certainly the tariff situation, but also low oil prices, uh, reduced drilling. Uh, so, you know, it's not that horrible, really, really. Uh, when you figure services is more than 70% of the overall economy. Um, So, you know, here's the short version. When you cut through the noise, you focus on the fundamentals, the data continue to show the economy overall to be on very solid footing. And one other thing, housing market, there's no bubble in a housing market. Uh, (laughs) Housing starts are still historically low, still in an uptrend, judging by builder sentiment. And if you look at the applications for new mortgages, they're up 67% in the past five years. And these rates are about as low as they've ever been. And, uh, you know, and yet the volume of new apps is about half what it was in the housing bubble of 2005 and six. So, as I say, we're on solid ground with the uh, housing market. So don't let that be a concern. And that usually is the last major sector to recover after, a, you know, a, a market setback. So uh, it's all clicking as advertised. You know, just some comments, I guess. The naysayers, of which there are legion, uh, are quick to point out that the, the market rally is, it's a house of cards. They build on uh, money printing by the Fed or stock buybacks, uh, the low interest rates, and, of course, the perma bears who bear, blame everything that's happened on the Fed. Now, Many have the idea that the market has gotten ahead of the fundamentals of American business. However, if you look at the data, this performance up to now, and I think going forward certainly, is being almost exclusively driven by the fundamentals. Not politics, not headlines, and certainly not even tweets. You know, a vast majority of the gains over the past decade 
you can explain them almost exclusively by improving fundamentals. Earnings growth, dividends, that's about 97% of the annual returns for the uh, this past decade, which, <laughs> now that you think about it, it's going to be over in a couple of weeks, isn't it? Jeepers. Uh, okay. So the change in valuations has played a minor role in explaining the gains during this cycle. So, you know, once again, think total return, growth plus dividends and interest. That's how much you make. Now, if you want the real return, then you got to factor in tax and also a, a number for inflation. So that's net, net, net what you get to have in your pocket. You know, to be fair, the earnings numbers were, well, stupidly low at the end of the last decade. Many would argue the only reason earnings growth has been so strong uh, over the last 10 years is because of the massive stimulus we received from the interest rates. Valuations have risen in concert with corporate profits. Now, this says nothing about the state of future returns. Quite frankly, the fact that earnings growth has been stronger this decade than any other in history, that's a sign we should, you know, kind of temper expectations going forward. We can't expect to keep these levels going at these particular, you know, for the entire 10 years. Although I will share with you a story after the news that puts paid to that to some extent. Now, uh, after the break, we'll talk uh, with some, uh, I'll give you some research uh, thoughts from a, some strategists and then talk with you about uh, this particular market, some stock ideas from various providers and, uh, well, hopefully give you some perspective about the market that uh, makes you su suggest that, hey, we're doing okay, we're going to still do okay, and I'm going to stay in the market because... I want to participate. <laughs> you know, I mean, we can't. You can't uh, play if you don't pay. Um, and so th things are looking pretty good right now. And uh, and by the way, there are you know ways if you are concerned that the market is peaking. Um, there are ways where you can you know, liquidate your position to uh, in a in a security of some sort and put it into some uh, annuities to guarantee your income that have no fees, that are, uh, will, how would I say, protect you from loss, you can't have a loss, and you have upside potential. And the rates of return are uh, <laughs> quite significant uh, relative to what bonds are paying right now. And perhaps uh, we'll talk about that in more detail, detail at, uh, some future um, broadcast because I think it's important to know because in your 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 asset allocation you have to have a cash you have to have some growth you have to have some income and you also have to have asset protection asset protection is where these annuity deals come in and they aren't all the same uh, you know this stuff like I said this stuff about oh they're too expensive we have m many annuities that have no fees. I mean, <laughs> last I looked, that's not too expensive. Most folks aren't going to be concerned about not paying for anything. Uh, I mean, there's ways that insurance companies make money. Trust me, these guys are not a, how would I say, uh, charity by any stretch, no. But um, anyhow, they're, uh, they're, they're good to use, and especially uh, for your retirement money, if you're concerned about having that run out. Um, you can get into these things and uh, 
again, give yourself some guarantees. And if you're a, a, a couple, you can do it so that your benefit will last as long as both of you do, or more correctly, either of you do. Uh, you don't see it like with a lot of pensions. You'll see it uh, stop when the person who was working for that particular entity passes away and the uh, survivor either gets nothing or a significant reduced amount. In the case of these annuities, you have a, a guaranteed number at the same level as long as you both live. And that, believe it or not, is, uh, I think, a pretty good deal. Now, this week, uh, Deutsche Bank has uh, gone on record with a pretty bold outlook. They say that the global economy is bottoming out, that the global economy has already seen the worst of the current downturn, and they expect the world's economy will be improving next year. And uh, a quote is that key to our optimism is the risks of trade wars and Brexit are evolving in positive ways. And the possibility of a radical policy shift to the far left, either in the U.S. or the U.K. after their respective elections, seems very remote. Now, while U.S. markets have performed handily on a relative basis during this cycle, foreign stocks have now officially joined the party because what's called the MSCI All-Country World Index, well, it's at new highs this year as well. So it's not exactly... Uh, this uh, global slowdown that the, the uh, financial press keeps whacking at um, may not exactly be as uh, negative as they would like you to believe. Now, John Hancock, investment officials say the markets will continue to be up next year, but there will be heightened risks, including a 50% chance of a recession. Now, that's what I call going out on a limb. <laughs> yeah, there might be, but there might not be. Okay, way to go, John. Okay, so in any case... The uh, 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 Hancock officials say the economy is in a low-growth, not-no-growth world, and this has significant implications for the markets. Matthew Miskin, he's their co-chief investment strategist, said these are sectors. Consumer staples, tech, and healthcare are among the Hancock's big bets as growth in the markets next year will likely be in the single digits. They're saying the S&P up about 5%. Uh, it, you know, we, you have low rates as we've had, low interest rates that we had. That is there to stimulate the economy. And as the economy continues to grow, you'll see interest rates start to rise as well. Now, Mr. Miskin says Hancock is overweighting tech stocks because they believe in a low-growth world and, and, and earnings growth is moderate, that this is the best environment for tech. Now, another strategist who is... The other co-chief investment strategist, a lady named Emily Rowland, she says it's difficult to call a recession because some of the economic data has recently started to look less worse. Less worse. Okay. <laughs> Can't say it looks better. you got to say it looks less worse. It kind of gives you an idea where their perspectives are. But in any case, our best case, Hancock, is for a muddle through economy that is positive. You know, the, the more you diversify, now this is just me talking, the more you diversify, the greater the difference between any benchmark index you're using and the S&P in your portfolio. For example, I was talking with a very nice lady yesterday, and she was concerned that her uh, holdings hadn't done what the S&P has done. And it's very simple. Unless you have just the S&P in your portfolio, the S&P index something, 
you're not going to get what the market has or what the S&P or the Dow or the NASDAQ. Everything is blended. So please keep that in mind before you start being too concerned about, oh, I'm not doing as well as the market. That's not really your, your job in most cases. You know, the path that gets you to a dollar amount that makes you want your retirement to be a possibility or an ongoing <laughs> bit of business is way more important than performance compared to a benchmark. Performance is old news. I mean, it's, you cannot go anywhere and find a way to statistically project performance. It's not there. So to you, that's why we say past performance is not indicative of future results. You say, okay, what did they do to get where they are now? Are they still doing it? House competition, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, it, it <laughs> don't, don't let, you know, these backward-looking indicators uh, throw you off your mark because it doesn't matter really whether you outperformed or underperformed the quote-unquote market. Uh, all that matters is that at, when the smoke clears, you have a dollar amount that should be workable with the least relative risk. In other words, do you want to get, you know, you want your portfolio to grow? Cool. All right, well, put it all in the S&P and then buy yourself a neck brace and a, a seat belt <laughs> and hang on for the ride. I mean, you know, and, and uh, perhaps a little Xanax too. Uh, you know, it's, it's not going to be a smooth ride for you at all. But, uh, you know, if you're up to it, cool. But uh, understand that you have a lot more volatility fluctuation in those kinds of uh, indices. Now, it's been my experience that folks often react uh, that in concerns that start to look like crises, even though the facts don't merit the dread, you know, kind of the headline knee-jerk thing. You know, that's an attitude we've been dealing with for some time. Now, studies show that people fear losses about twice as much as they welcome gains. I think most folks are aware of that bit of news. So many react to, overreact actually, to short-term trouble. And they call this, you know, I got that uh, behavioral finance advisor designation so I could help understand how and why folks do what they do. And in behavioral finance, they call this myopic loss aversion. So you're just, you Things that you're looking at things too closely in a near-term basis. Now, with everybody carrying devices that give you access to all the world's <laughs> negative news all day long, it kind of makes this short-term overreaction a lot more common. You know, and, and when folks are fearing something featured prominently in the headlines, please understand that the, anything negative from what's already out there in terms of news is already in the prices. I mean, everybody knows about it. It's not you're the only one who's aware. And then, uh, you know, that basically takes their power away to sway markets' future direction. And we have a caller on the line waiting patiently. Warren, good morning, sir. Yes, good morning, Mike. Always enjoy your program. Thank you, sir. Uh, I have a question regarding uh, a specific stock. Okay. Uh, can you address that? Sure. I can try. Okay. Well, basically, I invested in three um uh, stocks, uh, Chenier, Enbridge, and Energy Transfer. Oh yeah, sure. Products. Did you say Chenier? Was that the first one? Chenier, yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Those are good. And Chenier uh, and Enbridge have done fairly well. Yep. Uh, I invested in them mainly for the dividends. Yep. And you know they've been uh, pretty steady. Yes, they have. 
Uh, energy transfer products is also, dividends been pretty good on that, steady. Uh-huh. But uh, through, through the process of mergers and so forth, uh, the stock price is quite a bit less than what I initially bought at. Okay. Um, and I guess my question is, and it, it's rated as a buy from a little bit of research I've done on it. Okay. So, um, I guess my philosophy is I don't really care to shoot the cow while it's still producing milk. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty simplistic. <laughs> I don't know if that's... <laughs> I, I think that's a very reasonable response, sir. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I like I say, I'm enjoying the dividends. Yes, sir. Yeah, those I, are good. They have good ones. I'm getting a little bit older as I go with the, you know, looking at the stock price. So I'm mm-hmm. kind of wondering, you know, what my strategy should be uh, regarding energy transfer, and if maybe you have an explanation as to what's occurred with it over the. Well, these guys, it's, I think their biggest problem is exactly what you said: the the merger thing. They're like. Uh, who's on first anymore, you know, because it's just been, I think a lot of investors are just kind of, I'm not really sure what I've got after all the merger things have gone on. But when you look at these uh, master limited partnerships, the MLPs, they have guaranteed uh, contracts with through the feds to guarantee the transfer of products from, well, th- through pipelines and storage facilities. So they have kind of a guaranteed uh return to you and uh, it is tax deferred because of some of the uh, uh, treatment of oil uh, oil assets now what i what i had alluded to earlier in the program is that energy is one of the areas that has been down so long it looks like up to me kind of thing you know it's just been uh, beaten up severely ever since uh, the saudis basically backed away from the deal uh, in, at Thanksgiving three or five years ago. And so uh, I think as the economies, the global economies continue to recover, you're going to see the price continue to rise. Now, the the OPEC guys are trying to keep the production down because they want to keep the price at a certain level because <laughs> to say that they're socialistic economies is understating it by about 10,000%. And they support all kinds of services and their entire local economies based on the oil price. And at some point, uh, what they've signed up for isn't being paid for by lower oil prices. So it's, they have a vested interest in trying to get the price higher. Uh, that's been minimized somewhat by us uh, with our fracking uh, because we're putting more into the system that wasn't even there before. And like in Chenier's case, you got a great one there because they're one of the first to transport uh, natural gas and have built quite a facility down in Louisiana. So I would suggest that uh, I don't see any reason to sell any of them. Uh, And if you're that, uh, if you believe that energy prices will recover over the next couple of years, you might even want to add to uh, the ones that are still relatively low just to get a little more cash, uh, certainly out of what you're receiving from, say, money markets. Well, thank you very much. That kind of reinforced my, my thought. Well, uh, good. I'll just hang in there. and. Uh, Great minds work together, Warren. That's how it works. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Mike. You have a great day and a great holiday. You as well, sir. Thank you very much for listening and for your call. Now, when, you, you know, when you're putting your... Uh, we were talking about uh, you know, how to uh, manage your longer-term assets. You know, but you have to think... Here's five questions. 
how much risk can you afford to take? Okay, how much risk do you need to take? Now, some risk has to be taken in order you, for you to get where you're going in all likelihood. Now, risk is relative, okay? And how much, <laughs> here's the key, how much risk are you willing to take? How much do you care about keeping up with the market? And how important is it to accumulate the absolute maximum number of dollars? Now, it's, uh, you know, it's good to use those kind of guidelines to help set up what you're doing because there's no sense in being overly aggressive in your long-term investing policy. I mean, it's not, you know, you're talking 10, 20, 30 years here. Um, you want to skew it f toward growth because otherwise you won't be able to keep up with inflation. But beyond that, uh, you know, it's, you can't be too, like I said, um, with this myopic uh, bias here, you know, begin looking on the short term, trying to make sense out of the long term. You know, as a rule, folks uh, tend to believe uh, mistakenly uh, that the world's getting worse. There's this natural human bias toward bad news. I, in, again, in that behavioral finance studying I did, I came across an article uh, in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology. Great reading. You got to get it. I mean, a lot of pictures, you know. <laughs> I'm lying about the pictures. Anyway, the, the article is negative information weighs more heavily on the brain. Well, it said negative activities get your attention much more than positive do, which makes sense from a survival standpoint because, you know, nice things are enjoyable. Uh, bad things can be deadly with you being on the wrong side of the lunch menu. So you want to be uh, make sure that, uh, hey, okay, we do ha are aware of negative stuff. But, and given that, our good friends in the news media, uh, attention equals money. And we can see the commercial reason for a lack of headlines such as millions not going to bed hungry tonight. You know, that bad news just doesn't hold your attention. It freezes us because particularly when it concerns people far away, it suggests a disaster is inevitable when in fact it isn't. Hope, the belief that something can be done and we can do it, inspires action. Because the three major emotions in the market, real simple. Fear, hope, greed. All three of them are running at the same time and may be uh, living in your psyche at any one point in time uh, all at once or certainly <laughs> One or the other of them gets primacy. So just you have to learn how to control all three of those guys. You know, huge parts of the economy run at separate speeds. My analogy about the mar market is if you have a watch, not a Fitbit, but I mean a real watch with like gears and stuff in it, and you took the back off and you saw those, you know, you got big wheels, you got littler wheels, and they're all going around at different speeds. Well, that's how the market works. They all, the different sectors run at different speeds and yet it all balances out to create the right time, okay? So some indicators currently have a definite, it's as good as it gets look. Others are kind of like mid-cycle looking and a few are even uh, like in the early parts of recovery more so than the end. Yesterday's uh, big job gain, I think it helps uh, reflect the debate because it, in my opinion, certainly shows we're not at full employment even this far into an expansion. And the market itself, it's stalled, it's retenched, retrenched several times along the way, keeping the risk appetites under control and also at the same time preventing excesses. We haven't had any blowouts, son of uh, late 90s by any stretch. 
And in this uh, late cycle category, we can find several broad and, and trending data readings. You got the unemployment rating, jobless claims at 50-year low. Consumer confidence has hit a cycle peak, has flattened out. Broad index of leading economic indicators uh, has slipped just a touch from very high levels. Um, and corporate, it, corporate debt levels are near extremes. Profit margins have retreated from historic highs. But corporate credit conditions are sturdy. Households have simply not loaded up on debt this cycle after the credit boom and bust that ended in 08. So that leaves consumers in good shape. You know, there's been talk about, oh, the consumer debt is up a lot. Well, what's also up, and much more so, are the consumer assets. So on a balance sheet basis, that's not altogether a bad thing. Um, the, the only way, no, nah, I shouldn't say it. One way to view last summer's market results is as the third gross scare of the expansion. You know, we had one in 11 and 12 and one in 15 and 16. And they both of them had downturns right at around 20%. Uh, new lows in Treasury yields. And the central banks uh, became more accommodative as a result. Now, the fourth quarter collapse just a year ago. You remember that uh, Christmas Eve is when uh, we took off, started taking off and brought us to where we are now. But in October up until then, it was not a good particular quarter. So... The fourth quarter last year amounted to a flush for the market, I think. It beat the heck out of a majority of the stocks, a lot worse than the indices themselves. And it set valuations to five-year lows and uh, generated the highest investor pessimism levels of this bull market. If, because, of course, last December, the market was going to come to an end and it is going to drop off. Well, I, I, don't, I don't buy it. I... Because the reversal last year set off what's called a breadth, B-R-E-A-D-T-H, breadth thrust, a signal more typically seen at the start of major market advances. So if the market isn't detecting signs of a recession, which it is not, it tends to find a way to stay supported or and or work its way higher, even if it's fitfully. And it's, of course, being shadowed by the constant... Uh, end-of-the-world uh, prognoses from the uh, Chicken Little School of uh, Market um, Prognosis. So, I think that's all. I don't have enough to, time to go into any more heavy stuff. So, uh, But again, things are looking good. Uh, market uh, will have, uh, and Christmas, Christmas comes on a Wednesday, so that week is probably going to be a little light in terms of the market. Not that that's relevant to anything. And most of the economic news um, has been out. So the rest of this month will simply be uh, some window dressing by portfolio people. That means making sells and buys to make their respective portfolios, mutual funds or institutional portfolios, look as good as they can, capture some profits, set up uh, their portfolios for where they think things are going next. Matter of fact, um, uh, Morningstar, which is an independent uh, research company, uh, re does a lot with mutual fund uh, companies, and they had they did a survey of the companies that they, the mutual funds they follow, and they came up with ten stop, hello, ten top stock holdings. And just for what it's worth, here's what the mutual the ten top stock holdings in the funds that M Morningstar follows 
uh, in no particular order, uh, uh, Google, Microsoft, Apple, Comcast, Bank America, Berkshire Hathaway B, Wells Fargo, J.P. Morgan, MasterCard, and United Health. So there you go. So have a great week. We look forward to talking with you again next week. Make the most of it. Hope it's positive and productive. And the Zags got three big ones coming up. And I hope they just beat the bad Jesus out of the foul and evil. So go Zags. This is Mike Mayo, the Spokane office of the Opus 111 Group. You've been listening to Money Management. Be sure and listen to Opus 111's Mike Mail every Saturday morning on 920 AM KXLY in Spokane. Stream the show on KXLY.com or subscribe to this podcast and we'll bring the latest episode to you. Security is offered through KMS Financial Services.